Preeclampsia can turn a pregnancy from normal to deadly. Could new research hold the key to preventing or treating preeclampsia? You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, president and chief science officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And our guest is Dr. Sharon Maynard, assistant professor, division of renal disease and hypertension at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., Dr. Maynard is one of the world's leaders in preeclampsia research and clinical care and joins us to talk about her research into what causes or could treat preeclampsia. Dr. Maynard, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me, Bruce. So let's talk about preeclampsia. What exactly is it? Do we even know? Preeclampsia is a pregnancy-specific syndrome. It occurs usually in the latter half of pregnancy. And what the doctor sees typically is the nuance of high blood pressure and protein in the urine. But these are really just the external manifestations that you can see, and really there's a lot smoldering beneath the surface. Preeclampsia is really a multi-system disorder that affects the woman's whole body, and it's manifested by endothelial dysfunction, dysfunction in the endothelial cells which line every blood vessel in the mom's body. Why do we think this happens? The root of preeclampsia is thought to be the placenta. The reason we think this is that when the placenta is delivered, when the pregnancy ends and the baby and the placenta are delivered, preeclampsia in most cases rapidly remits. There are also a lot of pathologic changes in the placenta, such as infarction and changes in the blood vessels and the development of the blood vessels of the placenta, where the vascular development is not normal. So it's long been thought that there's some sort of factor a secreted factor that must come from the placenta and be secreted into the mom's bloodstream that then affects the endothelial cells of the mom's body, causing that damage. Since the target is the endothelial cells of the mom's body and the source is the placenta, there has to be some sort of link there. So uh, for many decades, actually, researchers have been looking for what that secreted factor might be, linking the maternal syndrome to the placental source. How frequently does this happen in pregnancies? Well, preeclampsia affects about 5% of all pregnancies, but predominantly first pregnancies. And that's when a woman is at highest risk, and it's probably closer to 7% of first pregnancies. And it also is the risk is higher in women with certain risk factors, such as diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, women with twins, and also women who've had preeclampsia before are at higher risk for having it again. So in some of those very high-risk groups, the incidence can be as high as 10 to 15%. A few years ago, you and your research partners discovered a curious protein that seemed to be tied to preeclampsia. What was that protein and how did you find it? Yeah, you're talking about a a protein called soluble FMS-like tyrosine kinase 1, which is a bit of a tongue twister. So we like to call it S-lit. And how we found S-lit was actually a very, I think, from a scientific point of view, kind of interesting story. At the time that I participated in this research, I had just joined the lab of Dr. Anant Karamanchi at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. And Dr. Karamanchi at that time was himself a pretty junior investigator. He was just starting his lab up for the first time, and he had never done preeclampsia research before, but was aware of the literature and this kind of background about endothelial dysfunction and some sort of unknown mysterious factor coming from the placenta. And Dr. Karamanchi had the idea of using gene expression profiling to basically go on a wild goose chase. (laughs) It didn't end up being a wild goose chase, but, but basically to look for what the secreted protein might be. 
gene expression profiling has actually now been around for a while and is used to search for, you know, the cause of many different diseases, but at that time it was relatively new. Basically, this is a way of taking, if you take a disease tissue, in this case, placenta from women who have preeclampsia, and a healthy tissue, in this case, placenta from women who didn't have preeclampsia, you can actually isolate the messenger RNA. Messenger RNA, as you know, some folks may recall from biology class, is actually a necessary intermediary step when you're going from a gene to a protein. The theory would be that if there's some sort of secreted protein that's coming from the placenta, that we might be able to detect upregulation of this gene at the messenger RNA level. So we basically collected placenta from women with and without preeclampsia. We isolated the messenger RNA, and we performed this gene chip or gene expression profiling analysis, which basically compares the expression level of many, many thousands of genes simultaneously in the two tissues. And you're basically looking for which genes are turned on, upregulated, and which genes are downregulated, and comparing those to look for differences. And what we found was that near the top of the list was this protein that I actually wasn't familiar with at all, soluble FLIT, which soluble FLIT is actually a truncated version of a receptor called VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor. Now, VEGF is present on endothelial cells throughout the body, and it's most famous for being involved in growth of new blood vessels angiogenesis. In fact, there are a lot of treatments out there that block VEGF in one way or another that are used for treatment of cancer, since we know that growth of new blood vessels is essential for a cancer tumor to survive. Now, soluble FLIT, that said, it's a truncated version of the VEGF receptor. So it's interesting. Most receptors consist of a couple of different domains, an extracellular ligand-binding domain, the part that actually grabs on to the ligand, in this case, the FLIT receptor grabs onto the ligand VEGF a transmembrane domain that actually hooks it up to the cell membrane and links it to the cell membrane, and an intracellular domain, which is involved in the cell signaling. When the ligand binds to the receptor, it activates a series of events within the cell. Soluble FLIT is truncated, so it only consists of the extracellular ligand binding domain, but not the other two domains. So instead of being linked up with the cell membrane like its parent gene FLIT is, Soluble FLIT is actually secreted into the circulation, but it still binds VEGF. That's what that domain was meant to do. And when it binds it, it prevents VEGF from interacting with the cell receptors that are out there that usually bind to VEGF. In a sense, it acts as a VEGF sink and an antagonist. And that's thought to be the mechanism by which S-FLIT causes endothelial dysfunction by soaking up the VEGF and antagonizing VEGF and not allowing it to interact with its naturally occurring receptors on the endothelial wall, it prevents VEGF from maintaining endothelial health, which is really another emerging function of VEGF, just for the maintenance of the health of adult, normal adult endothelium. So how long did it take to verify that S-FLIT was actually tied to preeclampsia? It actually went remarkably quick, I now know, when you look at the pace at which research usually proceeds. I entered Anant's lab and began working with him on this project in 2001, in the fall of 2001. And by 2003, we had published our, our first paper. And obviously, the work verifying that SLIT, exactly the nature of its involvement and the extent of its involvement is still going on. So in some sense, this is still being verified. But what we did after we, you know, finding it on this list of upregulated genes is obviously, you know, it doesn't prove anything. 
The first thing we did was look if this, if we're positing that this is a secreted factor coming from the placenta, all we've done so far is look at placental messenger RNA. First, we need to verify that it's up in the circulation. So we collected blood from women with and without preeclampsia and Lo and behold, acid levels in women with preeclampsia were, you know, five to tenfold higher than women who didn't have preeclampsia. The next thing we did was look to see if we could produce the effect in an animal model. So we took pregnant rats and we gave them exogenous acid. This was done using an adenoviral vector, and we administered eslet to these normal pregnant rats in what would correspond to their first trimester of pregnancy. And then in their third trimester, we measured their blood pressure, and we collected their urine to look for protein in the urine. And we also looked at the kidneys themselves, because it turns out in preeclampsia, there are actually very, very specific pathognomonic changes in the renal glomerulus that occur. And we found that exogenous eslet created a syndrome that was really virtually identical to preeclampsia, including the changes in the renal glomerulus, which no animal models for preeclampsia had yet been able to produce. What kind of changes are in the renal glomerulus? The glomeruli have changes that are called, the term that was coined for it, and this was back in the very early 20th century by a pathologist named Spargo, is glomerular endotheliosis. Basically, what's seen when you're looking at a renal glomerulus under the microscope, you normally see cross-section of many, many small capillary loops. And these capillary, that's actually one long capillary that's convoluted onto itself. And in preeclampsia, the endothelial cells that line that capillary swell up. They're just very unhappy cells, and they manifest that visually by swelling and actually occluding the lumen of the capillary in some cases. So that's really what you see on light microscopy. And when you look on electron microscopy, which is about 100 to 1,000-fold greater magnification, you actually see something that's seen, you know, for a nephrologist, that's seen very rarely in renal diseases manifested by heavy proteinuria, and that is the podocyte foot processes are not fused. They're actually normal. And that tells us that it's not a podocyte injury, as you might see with severe hypertension, but it's instead an injury to the endothelial cell itself. So does SFLT have a physiological function in normal pregnancy? Well, the answer is probably it does, but we really are not sure what it might be. We established a collaboration with Richard Levine at the NIH who had participated in a study about 10 years ago where he had collected serum from many, many hundreds of pregnant women as part of a calcium trial. And we actually went back to these archived blood samples and measured SFLT not just at the end of pregnancy, but at many points throughout gestation. And one thing that we found that we were expecting and happy to find was that SLIT actually is increased in the maternal circulation several weeks before the onset of any signs or symptoms of preeclampsia. But something else that we found was that even in normal pregnant women, women who never developed any signs of preeclampsia, the serum levels of SLIT rose throughout pregnancy. Now, they never got as high as they got in the women who developed preeclampsia, but there was a clear increase in the third trimester of circulating acid levels in pregnant women. Now, I have a philosophy that, you know, everything in the human body, or most things anyway, happen for a reason. What the reason, what the function of acid is in normal pregnancy, it's unclear. You know, I don't know whether it has a function in the circulation. My suspicion is that it's probably meant to be a more local regulatory factor. 
you know, we talked about the placenta a little bit in your last segment. You know, the placenta invades the maternal uterus, invades the blood vessels in the maternal uterus in some ways in a similar way to how a malignancy invades the body. And there has to be something that counterbalances this effect, something to pull the reins in on the placenta. And soluble slit, since it interferes with VEGF and antagonizes VEGF, which causes blood vessel growth, some have theorized that S-slit may actually act to regulate or to hold back this relentless expansion and invasion of the placenta that might otherwise happen in the third trimester. But this is all conjecture. Preeclampsia can be a deadly condition of pregnancy for the mother and for the fetus. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sharon Maynard, Assistant Professor, Division of Renal Disease and Hypertension at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., for joining us to talk about her research into what causes or could treat preeclampsia. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.